the physical injury turning into complaints, turning into a lack of faith in my own treatment and trying to avoid Mm, more complicated mm. treatment, leading to probably borderline supervised neglect because it was easier not to do risky treatments than to, Mm -hmm. to feel like I was risking a complaint. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. So we've all heard about burnout in dentistry and how it can be really catastrophic for your career. Now, the guest I have on today, Ems Courtney, went through a period of burnout, which was caused, interestingly, by a major earthquake. So of all the different things that could uh, affect your life, it's fascinating her story based in New Zealand, how a major earthquake uh, rattled her life so much, excuse the pun, that it set her on a cascade of events and she experienced a burnout and she left dentistry thinking that she would never join dentistry ever again. She's now a passionate dentist. She's a fellow Petrucerati and it's great to always have Em's support and feedback on, on the podcast. So Em's, thanks for being with the journey of the Petrucerati Dental Podcast over the last three years or so. You've been a big part of it. You've been an early adopter. So thank you so much. In this episode, we discuss uh, Ems and how she moved from UK to New Zealand to practice dentistry uh, and what are the cascade of events that led to burnout and how we can uh, look out for the signs of burnout. So if you're in a difficult patch right now, Ems and I will hopefully discuss uh, in a way that will help you to identify the signs of burnout and how you can overcome it. And it's interesting that we talk about burnout and CPD because the other theme that we're going to explore in this episode is picking your CPD and deciding what's part of your personal development plan. And it's interesting, anytime in my career where I have felt jaded or burnt out, I've always found learning something new or going deeper and delving deeper into an area of dentistry, i.e. through doing courses or further education, has actually been the antidote for my burnout. So I find that uh, by, by learning new things and keeping myself interested, that that's helped me to overcome the burnout. Whereas in some people, it might be that you're doing too many courses and you're burning out. So it's it, we explore themes like that. Now, because I want to give lots of time uh, to Emza's story, I want to do my own little section. So I'm starting a brand new uh, wing of the podcast. So we already have the group functions. We've already got the interference cast, which is like the non-clinical ones. We've got the main PDPs and now I'm introducing the occlusal adjustments okay so occlusal adjustments if ever I have a guest on and we're we're covering so many different themes and we're going kind of past that one hour mark sometimes I just want to do a little mini segment to just blah, give my thoughts okay have a little uh, rant sometimes or, or have a little opportunity for me to go on different tangents and go deeper into my philosophy on a certain subject so um, I hope you gain lots of value from this episode with Ems about burnout and CPD and I'll catch you in an occlusal adjustment in a few days where I'm going to give you my own guidelines as to how to choose CPD there's a balance between yes any new education and any knowledge that you gain is never wasted it's always a good thing but also sometimes wasting your money on doing courses which you don't get to apply I've been guilty in the past of, of doing that so I want to share that with you so uh, keep an eye out on this occlusal adjustment the first one coming very soon I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Dr. Zachary Smith uh, I believe from Texas uh, this awesome email that you sent Dr. Smith thank you so much I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart uh, it's messages like these that really keep me going he said uh, Dr. Galati just call me jazz man uh, your podcast is by far the best podcast for dentists I've listened to you from the beginning and 
I've seen so many other podcasts start to flounder, but yours is truly life-changing. Oh my goodness. Uh, thank you so much and keep it up. I will, Zachary. I will. And I really, really appreciate, uh, I appreciate you and all the producerati who listen and, and, and send feedback and support. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. The Petrusa General Pearl I'm going to share with you is very relevant to choosing your CE or CPD. Uh, and it's this. When you next are considering on enrolling on a course or signing up for a program or whatever, I have found this technique to be very useful. Think of a patient who will benefit. Just one, it has to be just minimum one patient that you think will benefit from you going on this course or gaining this piece of education. And then can you apply that course to that patient within a reasonable time frame to be able to gain the most from the course? And if the answer is, okay, I want to go on a crown lengthening course and you don't have any crown lengthening patients ready and you just like the idea of knowing about crown lengthening, then maybe you shouldn't go on that course. Or maybe if you don't already own a laser and you don't have any cases that you think, okay, I'll be using that laser on, then don't do what I did and go to a laser course, okay? Uh, yes, I had access to a laser, but I didn't have any uh, patients uh, already planned in my head that, okay, I might want need to need to use laser on this on this patient. So really, I think that will take you, save you a lot of heartbreak and a lot of missed opportunities. And then to be able to direct your learning towards more relevant courses for your population that you treat. So let's try and keep your education as relevant as possible. So I hope you enjoyed that Petrusa Pearl. And let's join Ems Courtney now on this episode on burnout, something very serious and picking and choosing your CPD. Ems Courtney, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. I'm so uh, happy that I've got a fellow Protruserati on the show today, all the way from uh, sunny New Zealand. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself, Ems. Oh, thank you, Jazz. I'm just, um, I'm stoked to be here and to be able to give back to the community because um, I've really enjoyed my experiences. Um, my name's uh, Emma Courtney. I'm a Liverpool graduate uh, of 2000. I have been in New Zealand since 2005 after a five-year stint in the Royal Navy. And um, I'm a mum of three. I practice part-time in private practice and the rest of my time I'm either studying, so at the moment I'm studying a pos for a positive um, psychology diploma, uh, or I'm blogging and podcasting also. Yes, Fang Farrier. Yes. <laughs> That's the other, that other name. Love it. Uh, tell us about your podcast. What inspired you? What kind of themes you discuss? Uh, so it's, it's a lot about um, probably the mental health aspect side of it, but, but how to deal with stresses that we come across in every day that um, people maybe take for granted that they're just things that they have to put up with or have, have always been there um, and things they might not think that they could do better and come out at the end of the day better and have uh, a higher energy clinical day but have you know more energy and, and, and time for themselves when they come home too because it can be quite a draining career if you let it. Uh, so just yeah, trying to trying to save people from, from burnout which is ultimately kind of where I started my journey with that side of things well this is exactly what i want to speak to you about burnout and it'd be great it's always great to hear the different guests and their own personal stories and experiences so i guess where, where i want to start ems is um your just share your story about moving and if it ties in with burnout fair enough but just moving to new zealand because uh, a lot of people want to know uh, explore that possibility i'm sure you get a message all the time from people in the uk like hey uh how do you do this thing called moving to new zealand as a dentist kind of thing right i mean i was bombarded with that when i was in singapore and i came back and henceforth I made the very first episode of the podcast uh, Expat Dentist in Singapore and that's how the podcast funnily enough began because I got sick and tired of being on the phone to someone every single day explaining the answer the same old questions so I want to ask you um, what took you to New Zealand what is it like what's your story behind that 
Uh, so it probably started uh, at uni. I, I started to get interested in New Zealand in terms of a holiday destination, not necessarily somewhere to live. Um, <laughs> my exposure to it was uh, through TV and uh, movies. So I'd seen a lot of uh, things that were set there and I'd seen those beaches and those mountains. And, and I mean, this is pre- Are you Lord talking of the- Lord of the Rings? This is pre-Lord of the Rings. So this was, <laughs> um, okay. yeah, so I, the first trip there, they were actually still filming Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, uh, pre-Lord of the Rings, it was like the piano and the TV series, um, Hercules and Xena. Um, and they were just, okay. it was just all outdoors and breathtaking landscapes. And I, I, I'm an outdoors person, so I love to get, you know, strap the boots on and, and uh, pack on the back and go off. Um, we call it tramping here in New Zealand, but um, hiking. And um, I'd always had that in the back of my mind. And when I graduated, I'd got a friend that was doing a, a gap year or an OE in Australia, and they were based in Sydney. So I'd got um, a couple of months before I had to join the Navy. So I graduated and then I didn't have to go straight into a job I had until September or late September. So I thought, well, I'll go to Australia, I'll catch up with them and we'll travel around um, Australia for, I think it was six weeks we've got planned. So I've got a return trip to Sydney. And then uh, about a month before I was due to go, they turned up on my doorstep because they'd had financial problems and had to come back. So I was left with this um, return. Oh, no. (laughs) So I was left with this return trip to Sydney, which isn't a bad place to be at, but suddenly having to kind of plan six weeks, whereas I was just going to coast along and and just kind of go for the ride. And it dawned on me that the place I really wanted to go was New Zealand. So I, I did spend four weeks in Australia and I, I went up the east coast but I, I kind of tripped in a side trip uh, or managed to squeeze in a side trip to um, Auckland and then did some traveling around the North Island and just fell in love with the place so much so I went back the following year to kind of do the North Island properly well as properly as you can do it in kind of two weeks I suppose within the Navy uh, I was very privileged in that I had paid leave I mean that's something I've never seen since so that's always a bonus <laughs> and um and then I did a um Maxfax SHO job uh in my fourth year there so kind of four years out of dental school and that was a it was a big year it was a stressful year I got my MFDS under my belt and I managed to kind of accumulate three weeks leave together and I was like right, I'm going to go back and I'm going to see the South Island and it kind of co- coincided with my commission was coming up in the Royal Navy so you you sign up for five years and then there's a, um, a board for extension and that was kind of coming up and I think it was going to be just after Christmas I was considering sounds like my, remortgaging your house yeah <laughs> I, so, well, the, the next stint was going to be another 13 years I think or something like that so yeah it was, oh it, was it was going up for the medium career commission and and then I was considering specializing so uh what to do there whether to stay with the navy uh, because it might not have happened immediately but they're very good in terms of CPD and and, and looking after you so I, I felt sure that it I would specialise in something had I stayed on. And I was looking at outside. I wasn't too keen on going straight into the NHS from the experience I'd had. In the Navy was was quite, again, privileged, I would say. And, um, yeah, I looked at... Uh, and doing... Working in the Navy, just to, to put some context and some ideas for, for people who may be considering that route, mm. What? how many patients would you see? Is it is it kind of like practice you get to do... What, what you want the or, or was there a bit of the um the treadmill effect um and requirements just give us an idea of that so i've never worked on the nhs so i'm not a great one for exact comparisons but in terms of kind of comparing it to the private dentistry i do now um timing and time for patients was reasonably similar um 
it's more focused on getting people dentally fit. So you're just, I mean, I suppose that's more kind of in line with NHS dentistry in terms of you're not trying to go above and beyond. You're trying to get people out of pain and functional and so that they're not going to experience toothache at sea or whilst they're away and things Mm -hmm. like that so we weren't kind of pushed time-wise but we did have I mean I suppose our our figures that we were accountable for were um, what percentage of our patient base were dentally fit so with the navy Mm -hmm. that would you'd got lots of people going to sea without a dentist and then they'd come back and they'd need sorting out Um, uh, I was actually based on a submarine base for a lot of that time which was a bit different they had a lot more kind of base time Um, but but yeah, just you weren't seeing as many patients as I understand you would see on the NHS a day. Uh, you had a bit more freedom of treatment, but then you were quite restricted in terms of materials you could use. Um, there was a budget for crowns for the year, not per dentist, but if you wanted to kind okay. of fly, fly a crown um, towards the end of the financial year, you might find it was kind of like, no, not this time round. Um, but there was no uh-huh. no problems between, you know, kind of, root canal and 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 exo it wasn't you know it wasn't a a financial choice and it was and and it's it was very good in terms of you sounds horrible to say you didn't need consent of course you needed consent for treatment but yeah they weren't paying patients you were on a salary um you had a lot more freedom to just as a new grad it was excellent because you could just get that volume under your belt get get that um all the all the basic stuff that you'd been taught without any ten thousand hours in yeah, and without the without the pressure of feeling the need to suddenly accelerate to implants or crowning everything you see, or, or, or and or not having to stuff. discuss money. I mean, that that that's something yeah. that is a is a strange thing yeah. when you enter practice from dental school, right? So uh, yeah. I imagine you didn't have to do that. Uh, and that and that I guess is a double edged sword because it was great as a new it graduate is. and it took an awful lot of practice. Um, it, it took a lot of pressure off practice, but when you come out as five years or whether it be 16 years or 20 years a graduate and you realize that actually you're probably more suited to the private dental world because of the experiences you've had is that that suddenly nobody's mentioned money and it it becomes um yeah i guess the later you you leave learning about those conversations and how to have those difficult conversations not just about the money side of things but also about the consent side of things, because you didn't in the Navy have, or at my time, you didn't have patients asking for a certain treatment that maybe was borderline appropriate or not necessarily Mm -hmm. destined for long-term success and having those really difficult conversations, because I think that's a skill in itself. Um, And Mm -hmm. that was something I felt quite dropped in the deep end when I did start. But, you know, we get there. Mm -hmm. So yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. I came over here on a on a working holiday visa that came with a, a brochure on picking fruit. Uh, um, <laughs> so I was, I, was st- I was still under thirty, so you could come over for a year. I think it was at the time. Um, I got my first job through the BDJ actually. Um, wow! Uh, just an advert in there, and I was uh, it was it was incredibly surreal as, as anyone that's had any experience with. Um, recruiting in New Zealand because this has certainly been for most of the jobs I've had here is it's it's very casual <laughs> it's I'd kind of um I'd been told I was getting a phone call that was going to be you know kind of the interview for this job and I'd brace myself for something formal and I was it was um I was in Gibraltar at the time so I was in the mess and it was you know like a million degrees with no aircon 
And I sat there on my on my bed in this tiny room and I was all set up for it and I'd got my CV out in front of me and all prepped. And <laughs> it was just kind of, it was just like a general conversation about, so you like New Zealand, do you, do you want a job? And that was... <laughs> And that was pretty much it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then the, the logistics of registering with the dental council and stuff like that. I'd actually gone through a company that are still around called um, LANS, uh, which is an acronym L-A-N-Z, which is Locums Australia and New Zealand, I think is what it stands for. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, they, they recruit from the UK to, for Australia and, and New Zealand and although I didn't use them to find a job in the end uh, they do that too but they they walk me through the process in terms of um, uh, applying for a practicing certificate and things like that because the uh, the degrees equivocable so you don't have to sit a practical exam exam you, mm-hmm. yeah but you do have to sit like an open book um theory exam on local practices and um, Maori culture and Pacific culture and uh, prescribing. uh, Because you've worked in Australia, haven't you, Jazz? Is that right? Uh, Singapore, actually. It was Singapore. Okay. Um, I don't know whether that's... I think that's reasonably in line with kind of what Australia do. And it's... it's, I would put it down as like a mixture between um, American and European practices, both in prescribing and... um, yeah, just it, it's it's a bit of a blend, so it's not it's not massively far off, but there are one or two things that are kind of same, same but different. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, and then I I came over, I I managed to get um, I applied for residency when I got here because it was on the high priority list at the time. I'm not sure if it is now, and uh, yeah, so I had that within six months, and I met my now husband uh, within that time as well. And uh, he, wow, yeah, I was working up near Auckland, and he was moving down to. Christchurch and I didn't particularly want I wasn't particularly interested in Christchurch actually I was having a lovely time in Auckland but um, I thought you know what Uh, this guy seems like the real deal we'll give it a go and if it doesn't work out I'll go home and well it did so (laughs) so here we are amazing and then then, so you you moved to Christchurch yeah so that's where I am now okay and I've been here since okay 2006 well well, tell us a little bit about um uh, you mentioned about burnout and, and some of the big themes. So the two big themes I want to really explore with you is is burnout and planning CPD. That's the kind of the main thing. Uh, and I think they can go hand in hand. For example, if you do too much CPD and you're doing too much at work and so much going on in your life and you, you experience burnout uh, and you're not an effective learner, you're not an effective uh, family member, you're not an effective friend, all these kind of things. Do you, do you have a personal story with, with burnout? Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I didn't, as many people don't, I didn't know I'd burnt out at the time. And it wasn't something that was talked about as much as it is now, thankfully. So something that, that people are more aware of. Um, I just... I just felt broken. I, um, I suppose 
if I had to pick a starting point, because I mean, the definition of, of burnout includes the fact that it's a, it's a chronic state. It, it kind of creeps up on you. Um, it's not an overnight thing by any any means. And for me, it probably started with the um, earthquakes here in Christchurch. So we had some major earthquakes in 2010, 2011, which we practiced through. Um, and uh, but it was a, a huge shakeup. I mean, half the city was pretty much kind of destroyed, if not immediately, but needed rebuilding, uh, including our practice needed um had to be moved off its foundations and rebuilt and things like that. Uh, and we, wow. anyone that's had any experience of earthquakes know that there's lots and lots of aftershocks, which makes life interesting, makes practicing life interesting. And, um, <laughs> I can imagine, uh, yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit like being at sea. <laughs> you don't realize how, how good so your reactions are. So you're getting your cramp are. prep and uh, yeah, the, the, your, your handpiece yeah. is just like bouncing yeah. around. Yeah, uh, it's kind of so... I suppose you get you get more um you get more attuned to to general movements anyway after an earthquake so you, you you're kind of waiting for them and anticipating aftershocks but if you've ever worked uh in a city or on a main road and you have like a really huge truck go by and it and it rumbles the building that's kind mm-hmm. of like your your real base level like kind of on the Richter scale, maybe like two, two point three something two to three kind of side of it is is it just you get a bit of a movement. Um, and then beyond that, it, it ramps up. But you normally get a bit of a start to it. it doesn't tend to jolt straight in. So, um, so yeah, so you, you realise how quickly you could kind of get instruments out of people's mouths and foots off pedals. Um, <laughs> but I think it was one of those things, I didn't think about it at the time because you, you just get on with it. But it's it's another source of, of chronic stress. You, you're, you're running on cortisol, you're running on um, uh, adrenaline, and it's not for weeks or months it's it's for years i mean we've still got stuff being rebuilt now um and yeah it just kind of it's hard it's hard to describe but it was um at the time i mean we were without um we were without a flushing toilet for six months we were um we had no water for two weeks the roads were trashed the um the local facilities around this side of town were so like all the gyms and the whole community halls, everything that, that kind of had a community sense to us or, or, or part of routine was kind of gone from this side of town. Um, managing small children and, and working out what to them, managing patients and their anxiety. And the, I mean, as, as, as anyone that's practiced for a while, be aware, you know, the, the dental chair goes back and it can be a bit of a psychiatry couch in terms of the stories you hear and the experiences of your patients and what they were going through, our practice was on the edge of the red zone. And um, so we were were zoned. The red zone was houses that weren't going to be rebuilt and were waiting to be paid out by insurance or various things like that. Um, But those Mm -hmm. people would flush the toilet and it would, the sewage would come up in the lawn. And this was like a year later. Um, And, and, and just living in just real third world conditions in a, in a, first world kind of country it was uh yeah it's it's a lot of um shared shared trauma i guess uh, and i think anybody individually if you if you talk about kind of burnout is that everyone's got we've all got this capacity to um to cope with stress and as as dentists i think we take it for granted that we're actually really good at it we we 
we have a really stressful job um but for the main part you know we you know manage it like a boss it's it's just so natural to us that it just comes off. Uh, but the problem tends to be when you have life events that increase that level of stress. So, so I always kind of look at it as like being um, stress and your coping tools as being like an arms race. One will bring the other up. So we we need a certain level of stress and a certain level of challenge to bring up our coping mechanisms and skills and, and, and grow and move forward. But the problem can be is it's going like this is if you have a life event like a, a divorce or a death or it's suddenly your stress goes up and there's a lag, you can't just suddenly bring those resilience skills up to, to meet it. Mm -hmm. So those tend to be kind of the most kind of at risk times that if you're under a lot of stress and you have events like that, particularly if they happen in short succession and you don't necessarily have the support you need to kind of go through them, then, then those are going to put you at risk of depression and, and, and burnout. But um, I kind of likened it because I, I do a bit of speaking when I, and when I talk to um, dental crowds here, I would say that it's like it's like not just having a death in the family, but suddenly everybody, you know, had that same death. So it's not you just mm -hmm. kind of going up here because in that way, your community can support you and they can bring you up because they're not under the same stress. They've got the capacity and reserve to help kind of you out. But when the whole community is going through it, like with, with COVID, it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard because you're dealing with all your patient stresses and you're dealing with all, you know, you're dealing with the stresses of everybody you meet. Everybody's on a short fuse and having, it's not, not necessarily having a bad day, but it's not necessarily at their best self or their most tolerant self. Um, and it, it, it then makes it very, very difficult. And I think that that's one thing that the earthquakes have taught me is that it's it's a long recovery gosh we want it to be a short recovery um i remember it, it the, the main quakes here were t uh, february 2011 and most of like the accommodation and stuff was trashed the the sports grounds the rugby fields were trashed and it was the year we were hosting the world cup and uh, christchurch mm. was going to pay host to england and but in those first days, everyone's, oh, you know, we'll be back on track for the World Cup in like October or whenever it was. And I mean, that's human nature to have to have that hope. But it's a long game mm -hmm. and, and COVID's going to be the same. It's it's forever changed our landscape. It's it's forever changed how we are going to practice dentistry. And it's. um it's a, another trauma that we're going to have to be aware of, not just from our patients, but from our staff and our colleagues in terms of everyone's dealing and managing it with it in different ways. And that stress is putting stresses on other things that we can't see like at home, like marriages and relationships and health, uh, all, all sorts of things. Sorry, I've gone on a bit of a sidetrack. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to No, That's fantastic uh, for your input and um, devastating uh, what, what you experienced in terms of the earthquakes and that impact it had on you and your community. Uh, was clinical dentistry a source of stress for you that you think contributed to, to your uh, period of burnout? Or do you really think that um, it was mostly what you're going through with the earthquakes um, that was responsible for your personal story of burnout? Ah, uh, combination. So, I mean, the earthquakes didn't help. Um, I was also, I'd got to, uh, 
two children under two at the time of the quakes and then um, two years later I had my um, daughter who I don't look at it as a stress but it is an I suppose it's there are extra things that need doing in terms of she has a chondroplasia so she has a disability so she did require more um, more care particularly more so when she was mm-hmm. you know kind of under five and working three days um, with three kids under five for a while so at preschool and it puts it just puts an awful lot of strain on you not sleeping properly as much as you'd like to think you're kind of functioning well is that you're just pushing I've just been pushing all the boundaries for for a long time and I suppose you only have so much energy to give so my response to that had been to almost kind of withdraw you know like dentistry was just something to get through to afford to mm. do the other stuff to um facilitate mm-hmm. the things that needed doing it it took kind of a back seat in priorities um i was at a position at that stage where financially it wasn't great there's no maternity leave as such here um uh no paid leave no paid sick leave so obviously when you've got children and you've got to take a day sick for them that's that's no pay too and all of those things start to kind of creep in and be a pressure and and part of me, I guess, just I would have much preferred to have just been at home and be the mum that I wanted to be rather than being in work. But that mm-hmm. um, financial side of things also cuts down what you can, what's available to you CPD wise. Um, so I, I'd not neglected my CPD, but it had been just online through journals and um and stuff that was local and free and didn't take up too much time because I couldn't really afford the clinical Mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. off either and um I think first actually I kind of broke physically which is something people don't talk about with with burnout is that when you're that run down and you're that um fragile is that it's a whole body effect it's not you know you don't you can't just separate mind and body you you, I I hurt my neck taking a tooth out (laughs) of all the random things to do Mm -hmm. um and I couldn't raise my arms so I didn't want to take time off work because I didn't have time to take you know I wasn't going to be paid for my time off work and you kind of battled through it but I'd have days where it would go into spasms and I'd just have to kind of cancel my day at 10 o'clock you know, I'd come in, my neck would go, I'd have to go. I went down the medical side of things and uh, actually ended up seeing um, the All Blacks doctor at the time because uh, she deals with a lot of neck injuries through rugby. And and she said to me, she said, can't you do something else? I said, can you not just not be clinical? Um, and wow. I got to the end of the orthopedic line and they were just kind of like, you know, it was almost like well, you have a neck incompatible with dentistry. Well, what are you going to do? Can you sideline out of wow. it? It's like, well, not really. Um, and the only solu- physical solution they had to that was, um, uh, I think they wanted to in- inject cortisone between my vertebrae or something like that. I don't know, something along those lines, something that didn't really mm-hmm. appeal, um, but in the meantime, I'd actually become a personal trainer, and I was like, "Well, I shall. I'll. I'll find a way to fix this. Surely it's just time and rehab." And and, and that that worked out. But when you okay. when you're physically having issues like that, so that was leading me to having kind of time off and unpredictable time off, which then leads to cancelling patients and and messing around patients in terms of because we know how it is. You can cancel them, but if you only if you can get hold of them to actually stop them coming in or, or 
all sorts of kind of funny things. Um, it's, it's always Sod's law that when you counsel that patient, the next time your neck would go, it would affect the same patient. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's Sod's law that, that, that it's just, yeah. And I had one of these and it turned into a complaint. And mm. it was a it was a really nasty complaint, and and in the end there was nothing there was nothing to answer to, as, as unfortunately most of the nasty complaints are, because it's more it's more emotions than communication. But I I wasn't firing on all, all cylinders with those, um, because one of the uh, I mean, as I say I didn't know I'd burnt out, but one of the 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 components of burning out is that uh, emotional exhaustion that um kind of depersonalizing and, and trying to distance yourself from things but and at the time when you're in it you think well I'm I'm doing enough I'm not going to go over and above but I'm doing enough and you're almost in like a, a, a protective self-defense you know I'm, I'm only going to do this because this protects me but patients pick up on it in the same way that they pick up on if you're feeling rushed or if you're feeling stressed and they they will take their own or put their own story and their own meaning to that and this mm -hmm. lady perception that, perception is reality yeah thought it meant that i didn't care about what was going on with her that and again this is someone that um in hindsight i would say was another person that had also been through at the time you know six years worth of post earthquake and had her own stuff going on and that this was the final straw for her and Mm -hmm. I had that and I had uh, I had another oh gosh the most ludicrous complaint that was a, a pain to deal with as well I had um we'd done a um like a voluntary day <laughs> which I which actually I would never do again this sounds really heartless I won't do I won't do free wow. voluntary days again because I'd had someone come in and I don't know how they'd found the way into the books the criteria for the day where you could have a, a checkup or a simple filling or a simple extraction for for no charge uh, nothing complex just almost kind of like um pain management but it was also for uh, for carers and people who had just had another strength which is a great cause and 90 yeah. percent of the day was was very rewarding i had someone came come in that didn't really know what they wanted it was a very confusing situation but the, the short story is that i i found a um upper six i think it was that had what I can only describe is like a bin lid filling that, that opened and closed on it. So it's like a, it must have had a GI with a pin somewhere that was keeping mm -hmm. it on. But it had been dressed for a root canal forever ago and just been left. And I found this and I said, well, you know, what, what do we, would I can't do a root canal for you. Um, if you particularly want the tooth out, I can take it out. Uh, or I can just kind of dress it so it's not going to fall apart on you in the next wee while or whenever it was. So I dressed it um, and then he, he came back to the practice a couple of times because he was, he was confused about something and I explained and I went through his notes and this and the other. And then I got a formal complaint through to say that I'd taken his tooth out without his consent, which hadn't happened. But it, it's what? one of those things, you know, it's one of those things that, yes, everybody's got a right to complain and we have to answer to them. But it was, it was another stressor on this. And yeah, yeah. And in amongst this, I just, I just didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be at work. I didn't want to have anything to do with dentistry. I didn't want to, I would, I would go into a cold sweat if I saw I got a call on my phone when I wasn't at work and it was from work. I didn't, I withdrew. I didn't want to go to staff functions. I didn't, I didn't want to have anything else to do with dentistry outside of dentistry and that impacted my CPD as well. I did what I had to, but I didn't want to go sit in a room of dentists and I didn't 
I didn't want to hear how great everybody else's experiences were when I felt um, broken, when mm -hmm. I felt that I couldn't do it and I didn't know why, um, that I hadn't been able to fix myself and that things that I had found easy and had just been second nature for so many years were were so difficult and so stressful um and i just i just what felt you described broken. there ems of the cold sweats and and feeling broken and uh, not wanting to socialize with your peers in the same way they used to um unfortunately a few a few of my colleagues have told me these same feelings about about work and and that's where i knew okay we need to talk or the, the, you know my friend needs help or this my this colleague of ours needs help so um how I mean, so any dentist who could be listening to this may be going through a rough patch in life. We are humans first, dentist second. So as a human, there may be relationship issues, like you see mentioned, divorce as an example. For example, um, there could be something catastrophic going on in life, on their in their lives, and then that could be feeding at them, uh, and they could be having very similar emotions, feelings, experiences that you've described. So maybe we can take uh, learn from from your experiences. How did you overcome the burnout? Um, how did you recognize it? How did you overcome it? Uh, and, and so that we can inspire and give hope to, to any dentist who, who may be in need. So recognizing it um, was months later. So I got to a point where I just knew that it, it wasn't working. I couldn't, I couldn't fix it from where I was. Um, I, had, I had tried things. I tried getting interested in new procedures. I'd got um, my my boss was very good in terms of trying to get me interested in, 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 in other things and other avenues to, to find something that, that could help kind of drive me through get, the get day. Get a spark inside yeah, you something, right? get a spark because right? he could, because <clears throat> mm, mm. I mean, you think, I guess you think you're kind of operating on just like a level, but your colleagues can see that you're just on this downward trend uh, and they can see you lose interest and see things being different. I mean, I'd been at that practice 10 years, I think I'd been. Um, with the, with a lot of the same um, personnel there. And in the end, I took a break. In the end, I actually stopped and I left and I thought I would never set foot in a surgery again. I thought I couldn't do it. Wow. I thought, and, and I didn't, and I still didn't know I was burnt out. And I still, I still didn't, I mean, I was, I was quite probably depressed, but I wasn't diagnosed with anything. Um, because I don't know, I think it's part of that kind of perfectionism that we have is that it's me and it's mine to fix alone, which is nonsense for anyone that's listening. There's, there's, there's teams around you and people that would love to help lift you back mm -hmm. up. Absolutely. Um, and, and during that time, I decided, right, well, I'm, I'm going to go be a personal trainer. I've got, I'm a qualified personal trainer. I'm going to coach. I did some sports and nutrition stuff. Um, but after a couple of months, I started to miss it and... The, the national conference here, the NZDA conference, was um, featuring a psychologist who is quite humorous um, and is actually, as it turns out, married, married to a dentist. But he was doing the, the main presentation on stress in dentistry. And I'd st I mean, I still had at the back of my head, I, I still didn't understand what had gone on and I wanted to know. I wanted to know. So I went along and there was this, um, he did this amazing presentation, which was life-changing in itself and then I, I was sat there and I was literally in the front row because I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna absorb all of this this is what I'm here for and um and I'd already kind of started along the lines of I want to try and help make dentistry less stressful for people 
So anyway, I sat there through that. But what I hadn't realised or I hadn't really acknowledged was immediately following it was um, uh, Dr. Fiona Muir, who was uh, presenting the findings of the um, NZDA wellness survey and uh, what they'd done in 2016, which wasn't um, published until I think last year or so. But what they did was they did a big cross-sectional survey that went out to most NZDA members. In fact, I actually remember being late for work because I was filling it in um, because it was one of these, you know, one of those ones where you pick it and it's like, you are 2% through this survey. Like, oh, no, I only had five. But anyway, it was, I remember doing it. And she suddenly painted a picture of burnout. And as she was describing it and she was saying what was involved, I just, I literally kind of like, it was a real light bulb moment. I was like, that was me. That, and I, and I, I'd started, I was just crying. I couldn't, I couldn't control it. I couldn't help myself. There I was on the front this row. At the conference, you were there at the, the front row just crying. All these yeah, stoic yeah. people sat around me and she was telling my story on stage. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I'd never, and I, I, I kind of came out of that and I was almost in uh, shell shock for the rest of the conference. Um, in fact, it was like a morning tea break afterwards and I ended up on one of the um, uh, one of the stands with some of the reps that I knew. And I was just, you know, kind of sat down and just explaining kind of what had gone on and what I'd suddenly realised that that it wasn't me, that this was something that happened to loads of dentists. In fact, the survey had found that over a third of New Zealand dentists um, that had completed it, and it was a statistically significant number, I can't remember what, but um, uh, identified as um, burnt out or with suicidal ideation, a third um, Mm, off the the basis of the study. That's just terrible. And yeah. and it was like, oh, my God. So I kind of went from relief to knowing that it wasn't just me to actually being quite angry that I hadn't been prepared for this. Why Why is nobody talking about this? Why is it, you know, was I just not paying attention at dental school? Was, you know, kind of what's going on? Um, and from there, I started to kind of work back and piece together how it happened to me in terms of what had gone on that that the physical injury turning into complaints turning into a lack of faith in my own treatment and trying to avoid Mm, more complicated mm. treatment leading to probably borderline supervised neglect because it was easier not to do risky treatments than to Mm -hmm. to feel like I was risking a complaint kind of judging patients on um past experiences oh I've seen this kind of patient I've seen this kind of treatment before I don't mm-hmm. want a, I don't want a part of it being overly anxious about focusing on negative outcomes um and 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 in that I'd seen yeah the the stress and the coping with all the things that had gone on with life for the last 10 years um that that connection and that I'd really I'd self-isolated which is quite a common thing to do when you when you're depressed or or down or or running Mm -hmm. is to withdraw because you don't you don't one you don't want to bring other people down you don't want to be the Debbie Downer in the conversation that that turns the happy excited conversation to you know you don't want to be that person and um you don't want to say it out loud uh, and and as I say, the, the CPD side of things, I could see that I'm someone that I, I love learning. I, I'll take a course and I run with it. And the only thing that 
that saved me from worse than burnout was the fact that I had started on this fitness journey. And I suddenly realized after trying to do as little dental learning for as long as I could, um, that I missed learning that I, it, it really, it, it woke me up. It lit me up. It, it, it made mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. else easier. Not, not just what I was studying. It made, it made home easier. It made work easier. So I started off, um, I started off as a Zumba instructor, as you do, and and then I, <laughs> and then I and then I did some um, certifications for my group fitness, and that all got back into physiology and and I thought oh, and then I did my personal training, and uh, every time you think you've left the Krebs cycle behind, it finds you again if you enter the world of fitness. <laughs> um, and then I did some sports and nutrition coaching, which got into kind of like the psychology side. And I found all of this just lit me up. So for a while there, I kind of guess rehabbed myself out of it by throwing myself into learning things that weren't dentistry, that weren't bringing up those memories and, and 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 associations and got me back in love with learning and growing and doing things. And um and then I started picking courses that dental courses that did light me up. Okay. That that um I I did just because I wanted to, not because it was something I felt I should know or I, I should do. So I would do so, so at, at this point you you were not doing any clinical dentistry right no so I took maybe nine months off um and but I think the other thing that I realized with the time off is that dentistry was such a huge part of me of my life it's very it's very difficult when you you know because it is it's part of your identity I am a dentist to suddenly put that down and completely dissociate from it but also going into something like personal training is is actually you go into a, a different kind of realm of work and you realize that you've no experience that you've got other experiences you can draw into it and you suddenly start to feel actually i had loads of experience at what i was doing you know like i wasn't mm-hmm. yeah it's it's that you, you suddenly start to value the experience you had when you have something else to compare it to um and i and i initially went back in as a a, a locum um i did some work on the west coast which is a reasonable drive away i'm on the east coast of new zealand and um (laughs) but but it was actually was it was very it was very therapeutic in that it i knew it was locum so i knew it was short term it sounds horrible to say that i knew that they weren't my patients but they weren't going to be my patients Mm -hmm. for a long time so that there was a lot of pressure off there was no they didn't yeah. know my story. Which, they is, didn't... which eased you back into it better than going yeah. full on, full time into um, into where you were before, perhaps. Yeah, but it, it was like, um, well, I can only liken to it kind of like PTSD. It was it was very hard going in there. Um, my anxiety levels were through the roof. Uh, I would see things on the daily. So your first day back at the clinic, you had the, the cold sweats again and the anxiety again. I would say, gosh, I would say it was probably the first it probably took a good month to get that okay. like kind of it was almost like exposure therapy you know I kind of put myself in there mm, mm, and mm. see those things that had been your triggers before and just ride them through and realize they weren't as bad as as you remembered them that, that, that this time it could be it could be completely different but it probably took me because I went from there into um 
some local kind of part-time jobs. It probably took me the best part of a year or two to to get comfortable and to come home and my husband would be like, geez, you're happy. It's like, yeah, I've, I've actually come home mm-hmm. from work happy. You know, like I'd be in a good yeah. mood at the end of the working day. Um, and uh, I'll tell you something, uh, one of the tools I, I got there actually was um, was your podcast. And I know this, this might sound really oh. silly, but I would listen to your podcast on the way to work and I would use it because I've got like a, a 30, 35 minute commute and I, I listen to you on double speed. So it's quite nice to hear you at regular yes. speed. <laughs> well done for um, keeping well done for keeping up at the 2x. <laughs> yeah. And um, and it was kind of like my you were kind of like my pep talk for work. Uh, I would I would have you I would have you in the car. It was like having someone sat in the car next to you talking dentistry, but but not just talking dentistry, but being super enthused about it. And I would literally kind of get to work, and whatever had been discussed, I'd be like, oh, I could try that out today, or I could have a go at looking at. And I started just switching that mindset. Um, and I still I still listen to you on the way to work. I don't actually listen to your podcast any other time. Oh, that means I, a lot I, to me. I. Yeah. Yeah, it 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 just sets me up for the day, and it's it's really helped bring that spark back in. That spark to suddenly say, "Well, actually, there are bits of this that I really enjoy, and there are bits I didn't appreciate that I could find enjoyable because I hadn't looked at them for so long." So nothing, mm-hmm. nothing kind of massive but just you know small things oh I'll, I'll try that with a matrix strip or maybe i'll try that with a wedge or maybe I'll, you know and just just enough that that i'd kind of gone from by the time i'd gone from home i'd kind of left that behind and gone and completely prepped myself for a, for a day of dentistry um and would share my enthusiasm with that uh and 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 at at, at darfield where i took I work two practices at the moment um, where I work with uh, my colleague, Julia. Shout out to Julia. Um, I introduced her to the podcast and we, and we come in and we, we chat about your episodes together, which again, it's, it's just, it's, it's been great lovely... to connect with Julia. She, she's uh, and thank you for recommending her to a splint course. When you've been both been on and uh, Julia has been, uh, yeah, you know, whizzed through it and yourself as well. So it's great to, uh, to have you two so keen and enthusiastic uh, about it as well. And uh, it's been, it's been amazing. I think the podcast for me has helped me to connect with people uh, like you all over the world. Uh, and it's just really special uh, to have that connection. I think of, of people yeah. who have become, like-minded, a little bit geeky, a little bit uh, funny in that way, but it, it helps to uh, stimulate your day, I think. Yeah, and I think that's probably something to be said for someone that's finding it very hard to enjoy their dentistry or feel that they've lost that kind of spark is that it's okay to borrow someone else's enthusiasm. It's okay to kind of tag on, you know, hang on the coattails of it because it is infectious and it will rub off. It's... Um, it's one of those things. I mean, it's been studied in in, in positive psychology a lot. Is you know, like a, 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 the the contagion of smiles and laughter and things like that. Is that it, mm-hmm. it does? It just helps, and it can be, it can be the first step on that ladder that you you need. It can be the spotlight in the darkness to just show you that first step, so that you can get on mm-hmm. and 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 then start to make the rest of the journey your own. It doesn't. There's not necessarily one spot that you find it, but that's that's just the one thing you need is just that that one that one boost up 
um and and you can get that from anywhere um you can get yeah. that for anything that you enjoy uh, or yeah. that inspires you it could be nature from wherever for you you found it from fitness from from reconnecting with learning just being a learner for you yeah. was a big driver for you to to get you back to you know your best you yes exactly um but if i was to if i was to suggest that perhaps in hindsight do you Uh, do you wish and and perhaps the advice that maybe we're giving to anyone who's going through a really tough patch is to seek help from somewhere obviously Definitely. you didn't identify until you were crying at that at a conference and that was such an epiphany for you um i i i feel as though perhaps you endured so much into that journey uh, and if only you had that lecture sooner or whatever or you you had that uh, connection sooner so perhaps people need to and and you said now it's so much more widely available as well the, the mental health yeah. side of things and the burnout so you yeah. know you should seek out help and i think um help outside of dentistry and it doesn't have to be kind of formalized help sometimes it can just be opinions because a lot of the stuff that we kind of put up with and we think well that's just got to be the way it's got to be it sounds horrible to say if you talk to a normal person if you talk to someone outside of our world they would just be like that's ridiculous what what are you you can't you can't carry on like you know they'll help just put it into perspective for me um the people i work with they have a, an occupational counseling program which uh again i actually didn't find out about until after i'd been through this which is a, a fault in itself but i i kind of sing the number from the the highest rooftop as it were now but just <laughs> i think that the stigma around mental health around not coping and about not being able to do it all on your own because you should be able to um uh, that's the voice not what yeah um is that that message is is so strong and so ingrained in us that there's a real fear and i can remember i did look I knew that I needed some help and I knew that I needed some psychological help. I thought well, I need a counselor this and the other and I didn't even know how to start where to look who to to talk to um uh just to begin that conversation um and that was very difficult and it shouldn't it shouldn't be that difficult it should be I would love to see on on the um uh, I'm sure you have the kind of same thing I can't remember about the recertification as, uh, with the GDC but here with the the dental council in New Zealand you have you're on your recertification thing you know you have no I've not been convicted of this and no I don't have you know I don't have substance abuse problems and and thankfully now they've put yes I've had an an eyesight check because that's a different matter entirely but oh, wow. um, yeah but on there it should be have you checked in with a mental health professional this year because it should be ordinary or routine or Very true. there shouldn't it shouldn't be something that you've got to be in dire need of before you 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 seek it out um mm-hmm. going back to this psychologist that had presented he started off and he said um I've something to confess. He said, I haven't had a dental checkup for eight years. And you can hear this intake of breath from the crowd. He says, and, and worse <laughs> still, he says, my, my wife's a dentist. Uh, but he turned this around <laughs> to say, he turned this around to say, now, why do you think that your mental health is going to be okay without somebody checking in on it? How is it any different to that dental checkup? How is... That's a powerful um, way to send a message dentist right there. Yeah. How... 
how if you had a patient with an infection an, an acute infection that and this will go into a gray zone because it's antibiotics but that, that required antibiotics you'd want them to take the antibiotics to get over so you get on with your treatment to get past that acute phase but we have such a stigma around taking antidepressants and being diagnosed with depression when actually mm -hmm. when we go back to that discrepancy between the high stress and that time lag between your resiliency skills coming up if you need antidepressants here, what they're going to give you is that time to build the other resiliency skills so that you can meet the stress that you've got and match it. And mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the stigma around that is is huge. And mm -hmm. I would even go back to um, the, the definition of burnout and the, and the, the World Health Organization only got around to acknowledging it or defining it in 2019, which I find quite shocking, but there you go. Wow. So they have it down as an occupational phenomenon, not a medical condition, uh, a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. But to me, that stigma again has not been successfully managed. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you have it because you haven't been able to sort your painting a picture out. of failure, right? Yeah, it's it's it. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because of where I come. Uh, my experience is where I come from. But that just feels like a big finger back at you you know like the the, mm -hmm, the, the mm -hmm. cause of this lies at your doorstep and uh, and i don't know well, well, well i hope we what you've inspired that. for anyone exactly and what i'm what i'm hoping is that anyone who's in a tricky situation that this conversation uh with ems and i today it would have inspired you to seek help because at any one point there will be um humans not just dense humans who are in a low point some will be a high point but if you're in that low point uh, and it's affecting your density affecting the care that you can give to your patients then then take lessons and it's really lovely to hear you uh, so openly Share your story, Ems. That takes courage. So, so thank you. And how you overcame that—that's really, really great to hear. And uh, and so good that you have the, the your mojo back in, in dentistry, and uh, you're you know you're able to to practice with full enthusiasm again. Um, one other thing, a uh, uh, theme that I want to explore now is CPD, and uh, we were discussing before we started to hit the record button uh, about you were going to go to tell me about the different cycles of CPD because the initial question I was going to ask you is any advice for young dentists about planning their CPD because I get messaged by young dentists all the time saying um, I don't know what next course to do or how many uh, you know uh, should I do this course should I do that course kind of thing uh, and I think you you have a really uh, profound answer on, on, on how to think differently about your CPD so just give about a flavor about how to plan your CPD um, as a dentist so yeah we were we were chatting about kind of the, the new graduates and I, I, was, I was explaining that in my viewpoint kind of you have such a massive experience of dental school obviously culminating in finals that you are all your time is, is learning things and getting your head around it and there's probably a you know you look over those five years there's been a heavy slant towards theory learning and book learning than there has been towards the practical side of it so in terms of kind of phases of, of advice that I would give for for dentists is is that that first kind of two three years is that you still you I guess you kind of consider yourself you are up to date because you've just finished finals you've got your BDS or, or, or whatever your qualification is and you actually need to kind of take pause to to reflect on that absorb it and practice it because the the you'll have far more in terms of kind of knowledge than you'll have experience at that stage. And just really get the volume under your belt to put all of these things you've learnt into practice to see 
what you enjoy, what works for you, what what you do find anxiety inducing or doesn't feel quite the same as it did at dental school. And I'm not saying neglect your CPD because we've got requirements that we need for, for recertification, but but really just getting it done is enough. So the easiest way to get through it, and that might be through a journal and online things. It might be it might be subscribing to something that has all your content for the year just looked after it so that it's just one less stress and one less thing to worry about. And then as you come out of that, you should start to get a better picture of, of what it is you want to do or what it is you want to improve upon. And it's not... I think there's... Um, an overemphasis, and it, and it comes from dental school because it, it's about any education system really. Is that education systems are about promoting further up the education system, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, so dental school, uh, you know, the you, the specialists are held in regard, and the consultants are held in regard, and 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 that that's the career pathway that you're kind of shown. Or is or is mm-hmm. um, the exposure that you gain? Yeah, yeah. You, it's, it's all the exposure you gain, and it's all that you really get to kind of talk and and, and know about. And I think, um, yeah, I think you which is why before. I wanted to be a restorative specialist. I wanted to be a, go be a consultant in restorative when I qualified, yeah. and that was dead set that I was going to do that. Yeah, and I've and I've wrestled with the thoughts about specialising my my whole career. Even even recently, I was like, well, should I? I could. I've still got time in my career. I could still make use of this. Um, and I think there's no sh- there's no shame in saying that you want to be a specialist generalist. You know that you want to be the jack of all trades, and you want to be the person. The hardest that be- of all specialities. Yeah, that you want to be the person that could be in a rural practice and deal with 90% of the things that are thrown at them and and still acknowledge when you need to kind of refer on. But to yep. me, you know, that's a superhero dentist right there. So, but that's not, it's not held on a pedestal. It's not, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not glorified. It's not seen, it's not even really kind of illustrated as, as a career pathway. It's because mm-hmm, it's not acknowledged mm-hmm. and there's no title with it and there's no formal qualification that goes with it and all, and all the things that we that we love our certificates and our you know letters and all all those kind of things so yeah don't don't be too pressured to go into specialism um not to say mm-hmm. that we need specialists and the people there that are massively suited to it but maybe don't make that decision one two years out maybe give yourself a couple of years just to, to, to feel mm. it out. Because the other thing, and, and, and Jazz, you'll know the same, is that the best specialists that you refer to and have a relationship with are the ones that have had a decent general dentistry background before yeah. because they can appreciate beyond mm-hmm. their mm. scope and they're not locked into their tunnel vision of their specialty. Um, tunnel um, vision is the best way to describe it, absolutely. They're the biggest um, crap. Yeah, so so, so that's, that's probably the first stage is... is Concentrate on getting hours under your belt at the coalface. Is you know get some mm-hmm. work done, get some fillings in, get what works for you. But use that time to to seek out mentors. And I think people get a bit put off by the term mentor in terms of that it, that it might have to be some kind of formal agreement. It doesn't. It just means learn from the experiences of those around you. And even the worst mentor will have so much to teach you because it might be teaching mm-hmm. you what not to do and what you 
don't want to do down the track. You know, <laughs> I've never and thought that, about and that, but well said. <laughs> but, those, but those are valid lessons too. And and I think people get hung up on being in, oh, it sounds horrible to say bad practices or under bad bosses because I, I don't, I don't like that kind of black and white, good and bad. It mm, just might mm, be something mm. that doesn't suit you and doesn't suit your yes. um, your values. But man, if you do some time under that, you'll you'll still learn. They'll still have things. They've got to the position they're in because they've managed to do something right. It might not be something you agree with. Um, and yeah, it's just everybody around you as a mentor, your senior nurse, your hygienist particularly, uh, and your therapist, if you've got... Anybody, it's not horrible to say, anybody that's senior to you has got experience in this setting that you don't have and that you can learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Absolutely. so l- look for mentors. Don't worry so much about your CPD. Um, and then the next phase is starting to think about those things, about what, what's your place in dentistry. And you, you're young enough that you can explore things and, and backtrack. You know, I did my MaxFax year and my MFDS, and I was going to specialise. It's not that I backtrack, but I was like, well, actually, I don't, I don't feel the need to see this through. I can do something different. Um, but as again, as we were talking, the... I think the danger zone, and this was this was highlighted actually in in the results of this study. I can't remember exactly, but the 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 peak kind of risk for burnout and things was about that kind of ten to twenty year point. And the good news for those of you who are in it is it gets better after that. Um, whether that's just with ex- with experience and in terms of kind of life experience and dental experience and just chilling out because you're on the other side, you know the, the the more twilight side of your career, I guess. I don't know, but it, uh, apparently the, the the results of the survey say that it, it does get better after that. But that's the time when you probably need the most support, the most um, help with your motivation, the most... You need to seek that inspiration from somewhere else because that's when it's going to be the struggling you're likely to be struggling because it was also the time that people are having families, getting married. Yes. Um, people yes. who have got married and it hasn't been the greatest to having those painful early divorces. You're buying houses, mm-hmm. all of these commitments that suddenly go up. And all of a sudden, it's not that dentistry got any more stressful. It's just that life around it got more stressful. And mm-hmm. that can make it harder to, to be enthused about work because all of a sudden you've got other things that are starting to compete priority wise and it's not that they're not that you should view them as competing but it's that you shouldn't necessarily neglect your your working life as well because it is a large time percentage of what you do um and you're at that stage where you've got you know 10 years experience under your belt and you you run the risk of you know day in day out syndrome i've just got to get through this and i've you know, it's just another filling or it's just another crown. Also risking, yeah, or, or, or being on autopilot and, and losing the, the 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 love of the minutiae of the detail and the, and, the, and the care and that fire in your belly. You lose it. Um, you can lose it. And I remember my trainer in DF1 telling me that uh, at 10-year point is, is roughly when um, a lot of dentists may get some complaints because of the you know complacency. Right. Yep. They've done extraction so many times before and they take, uh, you know, don't check the medical history or little mistakes because you're just running on autopilot. Uh, when you're running on autopilot, then, then you know, it, it can not lend itself to the best kind of care that we can give customized to our patients. So, um, yeah, you're, I think you're so right in that phase. You can fall into these traps. 
Yeah, and there's, uh, there's uh, something that springs to mind is um, what you're just describing there is uh, mindlessness. So, it's, so in mm, terms of kind mm-hmm. of you just operating on, on on autopilot, you're going off rules that you've been given ages ago, and you just you're kind of your your present actions are dictated by past events. And mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, and is dragging, is dragging, yeah. and it's the complete opposite of the flow theory. You know, the yeah. flow theory is that you're yeah. completely engrossed in something, uh, and time. You look at the time, the oh, we're three hours gone, uh, kind of thing. Whereas, um, yeah, when you're when things are dragging, it's it's not a nice place to be. Yeah, and and it, it kind of ties in with um, Ellen Langer's definition of mindfulness, which is different to the um, the the kind of the main one we think about about being present and things like that, and. And her definition of mindfulness comes down to kind of noticing what's new and different and being open to differences and exploring things and challenges so that you're not operating on that mindlessness kind of front is that you are treating everything as what is new and different here. What can I change mm-hmm. or change up? And, and likewise, what you say about the flow, it's the way that the flow works is it's that kind of graph of challenge versus skill level. And if you're mm-hmm. not upping your skill level, then the challenge is going to drop and you're going to drop into mm-hmm. the, like the corners of, of that graph that once you're outside of flow and you get kind of arousal control, you end up in anxiety or relaxation or boredom or the bottom end. So the opposite end to flow on this chart is apathy. And that's when you're at risk mm-hmm. of burnout because it ties in completely mm-hmm. with that. So, I mean, the mm-hmm. way I plan my CPD now, because I'm, I'm, gosh, what am I, 21 years graduated, is, is that I, I, I still take care of the basics in terms of I've still got my box check and the, the, the same that I would say for my new grads, just so that I don't have to think about meeting the requirements. But beyond that, I look for stuff that, that lights me up, that stuff that that's that I can see is going to have something immediately actionable that I can take away from it and I think we have to kind of broaden our views of what CPD is because I mean well there weren't podcasts when I came out of dental school but you you your podcasts your blogs your these are your mentors from around the world that are available to you that you don't need a formal relationship with that you can learn from mm-hmm. but true. also yeah but also that kind of padding out of um and I guess this comes to be you know yes if you you're going to stay in general practices be that that specialist generalist is is start to learn about business and marketing even if you're not running your own practice start to have an appreciation of it start to seek out communication courses start to look into and I would something I would never think is is kind of the like coaching qualifications have, have helped me because they've helped me communicate with my patients better they've helped me work out Mm -hmm. what it is they really want because what they're saying isn't necessarily what they want and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we we're we're kind of stuck in a profession that's still it's or or the profession sometimes feels still stuck in like the 19th century no doctor says you do kind of thing and it's with with consent and everything else it's not it's not that straightforward and and probably as you, you were telling you you're saying you were talking to Sean he would probably have talked about it as well in terms of you've got you've got to know what the patient actually wants you can't you mm-hmm. can't run mm-hmm. with the first thought of ah got this they want that because then mm-hmm. you're both both of you are happy until the end of the treatment when you realize that you've satisfied your treatment outcome but not their needs and yeah 
And that's where you're going to come up with complaints. That's where you're going to have less kind of things. So, you know, even just it sounds quite basic or dismissive. It's, it's, you know, communication skills are huge. If you want to avoid complaints and have more satisfied patients, and that would be a starting point for for anyone. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I make sure I've got my hours um, tied away somewhere else, but uh, but the, the rest of it is actually personal growth, not just professional growth and things that can kind of tie into that. Because, as I said, it's, some of these you might think, well, that's not overly relevant, but you go on these courses and sometimes they can surprise you. I can remember I went on a health and safety mm-hmm. course, which sounds, you know, like most people would rather put nails in their eyeballs but it was yes i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. in that category <laughs> well, we, we had a change to our health and safety uh laws recently and we went along and it was it was quite amusing because um, we went in and i think 90 percent of the dentists in there were hoping for basically just a checklist of how to comply with the new laws now the guy that presented the course he was someone that um dealt with workplace accidents and particularly workplace deaths actually and he had a lot of stories about not dentistry but a lot of stories about other workplace instances and talking about as we were talking about on the autopilot that your highest risk is your um 40 to 50 year olds that have been doing it for so long that they can do it in their sleep so the electrician that that puts two wires together that mm-hmm. a, a an apprentice would never have gone near but they've 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 been in that mm-hmm. mindlessness state and it's and it's been fatal and and it was it was it was it was the most surprising course I've been on because it was it was nothing that I expected. It turned out to be about aging and resilience and um, mindfulness is what it turned out to be. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so Brilliant. go explore these things. And I mean, it's always going to be dictated by what time you want to spend, what money you want to spend, where you want to go for it. Um, I always well have my eye on something sometimes and it's not always the the monetary value beside it is is that sometimes I will I will spend more than I want to spend on a course because it's either something I can't get through any other means or medium or it's a presenter that I wouldn't be exposed to normally um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I guess once you've done enough courses, you start to get that filter of, well, yeah, I can see there's going to be value in that or I, I can't. And yes, sometimes mm-hmm. you get caught out, but, but do try and yep. challenge yourself. And, and, and I've, I've said, um, on multiple times of podcast for, for every clinical course you do, do one non-clinical. And I think even you, you mentioned coaching, that's an example, right? That's something that's going to make, that's made you a better communicator with your patients. That's an example of one because there's only so many non-clinical, but anything that can improve you and your mindset, um, and your demeanor and your, the way you speak, uh, your body language, these are all important things for you as a communicator. Cause we, as I was discussing with Sean today, dentistry is so little or what you do with your hands, and so much more what the patients feel yeah. and um, the the communication aspect of it. So um, you, I think you'll enjoy that episode. And just like uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed our episode today, um, CPD at the end, but really you know, kind of you to share your story and make yourself vulnerable. I really appreciate that. But I do feel whilst it might serve many of the Petrusrati, just generally they might be listening and thinking, okay, you know, the, the, this is interesting. Uh, but uh, a small minority, I think this episode will really, really allow them to give themselves permission to seek help 
and and yeah. these uh, small numbers will be helped massively. And I'm always up for for helping uh, small number of people in a big way. So Ems, thank you so much uh, for giving up your time today on, on on Father's Day in New Zealand. And I know you said you got your husband a nice big box of meat. <laughs> yes. He is a carnivore at heart, so um, yeah, it's steak dinner today. Amazing. Well, I, 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 if you have any closing comments, please tell us about your podcast. Where can we uh, listen? What's the full name of it? Oh yeah, um, sorry, I'm ter- I have done courses on on marketing and self promotion. This is how good I am at them because I'd, I'd forgotten to mention it the whole time. Um, <laughs> uh, it's Fang Farrier, uh, which is a if, if you're unaware is a slang term for a dentist. Uh, that's the name of the podcast. It's the name of my Facebook group and um, my Facebook page, I think, is It's a Dentist Life, which is only different because there's only so many times you can change the name of a dental uh, a Facebook page. So um, I can't change it to Fang Farrier. But yeah. It, um, <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to put the links me. on the show notes so people can can, can, can come and listen to you more. Uh, you've got these different angles to share uh, with the whole positive uh, mental attitude and your history and fitness. is you know It's very different um, genres that you explore non-clinical stuff which is so so important excellent um well thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure to say i've 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 taken a lot from this community and from your podcast and your um splint course which i thoroughly enjoyed and highly recommend and um it's just great to give back well no it's again it's so nice to be speaking to a fellow producerati from across the globe at different time zones just amazing uh so thank you so much and have a lovely father's day uh with your family and you have a lovely evening Well, there we have it, guys. Uh, Burnout and how to identify it and how to overcome it and how to plan and navigate through the world of CPD. Hope you gained a lot of insight from that, particularly if you're early on in your journey and you're thinking about, okay, what's my path of learning over the next few decades? Very soon, I'm going to post up an occlusal adjustment, so do check it out. And of course, if you're not part of the Protrusive Dental Community on Facebook, what are you waiting for? Go on Facebook, search Protrusive Dental Community and join over 1,700 dentists who are the Protruserati, just like you, who listen and love the podcast. And I love that. And I really appreciate that so much.